right, hello, Idiots on Parade, D2 Ugly for a TV podcast. Hi, Jake. How's it going? And hi, Barrett. How are you, sir? So, uh, Jake, meet Barrett. Barrett, meet Jake. Barrett and Targood. When I know him as Barrett, uh, he's a New York musician that uh, I met at the Berkeley College of Music, where we were both going and thinking, wow, what a great idea. Let's go to a university to learn an art form. And then when we were there, we realized it's like any college, just like we want your money. This is rote memorization. And I, I don't think we really... Did you learn anything? Hmm. Well... Yes, but would my money have been spent better elsewhere? Probably yes. Yeah. I mean, basically, we look at it like uh, we spent $20,000 to become best friends. Yeah, basically. (laughs) With so many jobs, man, they they just require a bachelor's in anything. Uh, Like like the job I I have now, my day job, it, it, it requires a bachelor, but it doesn't matter what it is. And I kind of get... Why I'm surprised company... you need a... Well, he works at Enterprise, uh, Barrett. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, like, I sort of get why a company would want someone to have a bachelor's in anything in the sense that, well, it it is a tangible thing that you can show them that says, basically, I showed up for like four or five years or whatever, and I did stuff they wanted me to do, as opposed to somebody who doesn't have a college degree, maybe that might not necessarily be the case. However, if... If I did that for a job that gave me some kind of thing, then then I would I would have money as opposed to owe money. If like if all they're looking for <laughs> is just a thing that says I showed up someplace on time and did enough to get the thing, it's like well okay, how about I worked? Better yet, I worked in the <laughs> right. field that this is actually in. Not well, I have a degree in in art uh, history. It's like well okay, we we do computers here. Uh, Picasso. Yeah, but that's for, so, for enterprise. I have a degree in art history. All right, you can give uh, shitheads the keys to their car. Right, <laughs> right. And it's like, I get it. You showed up for art history, but it's like, if I showed up to McDonald's every day for four years, that would still yeah. that would probably be a little more practical than, than art history anyway. So it's like, why not just give people degrees for this guy had the same job for four years? This, yeah. That makes the sense. Well, the reason uh, Barrett is on the show tonight is, uh, did we talk about, did I mention my CD on any of the last couple podcasts, Jake? I don't know. I don't remember. I don't think so. I recorded a a CD and I edited it. And then Barrett, being a musician with a music studio, I sent him the raw files and uh, he cleaned them up. So I thought it might be somewhat interesting to talk shop with an actual, we're calling him the producer of my CD. Because he's run it through filters, and it's, like, when I say producer, he's not like, all right, so I'm going to put a laugh track down, so every joke has ha, 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 ha. But he, he, like, fattened the sound up. I mean, so so you have this this raw-sounding file, and then he runs it through a, a processor, and it comes out, whoa, I mean, that, that sounds thick, you know, like Baby Got Back. I mean, there, there's... You wanna you want you wanna talk about your computer wizardry, the the programs you have, Mr. Producer Barrett? I mean, yeah. Also, Jake, put your phone on silent so you can text and get texts. Yeah, uh, I just did quickly. that. Oh, okay, because I could hear you clicking. Jake uh, lost his girlfriend's cat, so she's uh, texting him as anyone would be if their 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 pet got out. Well, uh, it's so. not necessarily that I lost her; it's that one of us lost him sometime last night. And she left this morning, like early, early in the morning to go to a wedding in Chicago. 
So oh, so I, that's better. That so she knows it's not like she left and then you had to text her like, "Sweetie, your cat's gone." She knew leaving that it was. No, no, I texted her oh. just now before the podcast. Um, I got home and the cat's food that I left out this morning when I went to work was still there and the cat's nowhere to be found. I mean, I didn't see him when I left for work this morning, but I was like, ah, he's on a bookshelf somewhere and I don't have fucking time to find him. He'll, he'll eat the food, you know, like sometimes he's just kind of in his own little spots, but, uh, yeah, he's not here. Maybe you checked under everything and behind everything. I mean, cats are pretty stealthy, sleepy creatures. Yeah, they are. But I mean, like I, I left, uh, at, at, like before seven in the morning and I just got back now and the cat didn't touch the food. So he's, he's not here, but see, the thing is, is we, we let the cat go in the backyard. Like he kind of roams around in our oh, yard and, see, and, the, and the neighbor's never, yard. So it's never, never do that. I hate that. My, that's how my cat as a child, uh, we, we, we let the cat out and it would do that. And then just gone one day. And I, that was childhood trauma for me right there. Well, ours, I don't think they can uh, get to the street from our backyard because it's its within a city block. So it's its like all the houses are literally touching, like they're built together. And so the, the our backyard and the other people's backyards collectively are like a huge backyard for the cat. And then he just comes back into ours and we leave the window open, you know? Well, it's just the window got shut. <laughs> Listeners, what are you thinking about this? Uh, so, <laughs> comedy. <laughs> That's where this started, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, so, Mr. Uh, music Producer, now uh, entering into the realm of comedy. So, you, you took my raw files. Walk us through this. Well... You gave me a series of things to choose from, by the way. Yes. I mean, the first thing that I did was basically give it a quick listen. And what I did was... There's a handful of things, right? There's basically a limiter, a compression, an EQ. And basically you just go through it and you beef up some of the sounds, right? Like a lot of it is like, as you say, like your voice comes off sometimes as low, right? Uh, low frequency-wise, not volume-wise. So what yeah. I can do is enhance that so that it doesn't sound muffled when you speak into a microphone. What it does is it improves some of the clarity. I can bring up some of the mids and some of the highs, while keeping the lows there, just adding some other frequencies so that it's a little bit clearer. I can add some compression and a limiter, which will basically just even out the sounds. It'll take the loudest sounds and give you like the threshold so it doesn't go above a certain volume or below a certain volume. So the like, you're... Let me mm-hmm. let me interrupt you right there quickly sure. because that helped one of my things is uh, there were a couple jokes that you'll be aware of that I yelled into the microphone where I'm, I'm express, expressing exasperation during a joke. I'm like, oh, come on. And I, I overmodulated. I blew out. And when yeah. I listened to the raw files, it was like sticking ice picks into my ears. Like, and you can't fix that once a raw audio file like that is, is, is there. You can't go back and clean it up and make it legible. You can't make it say, oh, come on. But what you did with your compression and limiter is... You can hear it blow out, but it doesn't stab you in the ears with the overmodulation, yeah. and that was really helpful. Yeah, I mean, between that and on that spot in particular, I I automated the volume. So I just took the volume of the overall volume of the track, isolated that one little bit, and brought the volume down on it so that it stays about the same volume as the rest of your voice, but it doesn't it doesn't give you that screeching, piercing feeling, you know. So yeah, 
it was fun actually. Like it's I don't I do mostly music stuff here. I do a couple of like voiceovers and things like that. But this is really interesting because it's a lot of material. You gave me. I mean, the whole thing is forty eight minutes, right? And yes. so really going through it. I mean, one listening to it is just funny because the stuff is funny, and so that much I really liked about it. But also just being able to go, oh, okay, this is a high point. This is where things can come up a little bit. This is where it can come down a little bit. And it's really interesting because, like, when you work on music, you know, like, you'll listen to a song and there'll be, like, a really quiet part of the song and a really loud part of the song. And you hate that when you're in your car and you're listening to it, to the quiet part, and you turn the volume up. And then the loud part comes, you have to turn your volume down. Yeah. Right? It's stuff like that, like, going through it. What that is is a badly mastered song, essentially, is what it is, because it shouldn't do that. The loud and the quiet should be there, but they shouldn't be so drastic that you have to adjust your volume manually, right? They should kind of look into that ahead of time when that happens. And so that's basically what I did. And it's fun. I mean, I like listening to comedy. I especially like your comedy, so it's, it's nice for me to do this kind of job. I'm all about it. Well, and that's why I wanted you to come on here, because I was so happy with the results. Uh, and like I, the only way I could describe it is it sounded fatter, it sounded more complete, uh, that I wanted to bring you on so that any... And I'm going to pimp you out to my comic friends and say, of whoever's course. recording a comedy CD. And that's why I want to come back to Jake, because Jake on this podcast has famously disowned a CD he recorded. So I want to ask you, Jake, when you recorded your CD, do you know what they did what to it? What part of famously do disowned don't you... T- don't you understand? <laughs> Jesus Christ! It's not famous. My favorite the thing. Talking about it here in the present. My favorite thing is is uh, Barrett doesn't know this. I'll tell Barrett when when uh, Jake gave me his uh, pre-cut version of the CD. I had uh, two small bits of advice for him, and one of them was, okay, I would take out all the Romney jokes because you immediately date the CD. Oh, as soon as well, I've election... been doing comedy for, what, like a year, nine months? <laughs> no. or, it was, was like nine like, months to a year. CD like, it was not out. very long, man. Everybody says, oh, that's 2012. It's <laughs> and, and then you gave me the final copy, and I was like, every Romney joke was still in there. I'm like, what? <laughs> this just literally screams 2012. And here's the worst part is I, I didn't take my own advice. I threw one Trump comment in there and I thought about taking it out, but it's more a tag and an aside. So I'm like, fuck it. I can leave a two second Trump comment in. Plus it just wasn't, it just wasn't good in general. I'd only been doing stand up for like a year, dude. So it's like, I don't know if I had a time machine, I would go back and instead of killing Hitler, I used to say I would kill Hitler, right? But now Hitler gets to live if I get a time machine. I am going to stop myself from recording anything I did, uh, you know, years one to like, I, I don't know, now. <laughs> no, I have I have a, 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 an awful, awful CD, first one like that, that I have buried somewhere in my basement that I haven't listened to since I recorded it. And and I remember being so proud of it, like oh, I recorded my first comedy. Scene. Oh yeah, I've destroyed. And then every a year later, copy of this thing, dude, I'm like the Catholic <laughs> Church burning all the fucking uh, books they didn't like in the year 312 or whatever kind of shit. Like I I, I did that. I uh, I burned people at the stake that had copies of the CD. I I was I was crazy. I thought you were gonna say you were like uh, the Catholic Church burning. Um, records of priests at parishes where they fucked little boys so they could just move them around the country. Well, no, luckily that happened recently enough that they could just hit control-alt-delete and, and, and that was gone, man. 
So, but but do you remember anything about the production process? Like, uh... yeah, the guy who did it actually did a really good job. I mean, like the comedy itself was horrible, but the guy who made the CD was amazing. They, I don't know, man. It's like uh, it's like getting Picasso to paint a picture of a really ugly woman. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> That's basically what it was. Uh, he was Picasso and you were the ugly woman. Yeah. So, yeah. And did he do all the editing or did you do any of the editing? Because with this one... Oh, uh, he did I'll all of it. The... I, you know, okay. I, I don't know anything about that kind of stuff. See, I'll, I'll uh, fess up to the listeners. And it's one thing I'll bring it back to Barrett because... Um, and so describing a comedy CD to me was different from a live show. When I'm headlining a comedy show at a comedy club, the audience has been drinking and then they have an opening act go up and then they have a middle comic go up and then they have me and they, you know, like I said, they've been drinking. So I go up and I hit them kind of hard, but I, you know, a comedy CD, someone puts that in and it opens with like, boom, right in your face. I'm like, I'm not sure if I wanted to do that. So what I did is I recorded the disc then I moved several of the tracks around so that it opens, you know, in the middle of the set and then it goes to the opening and then it goes to the end. So I switched everything around and when I played it for everyone, or I, I gave it out to like five or six test people, nobody caught those edits. There was one edit they did catch because I, I mixed and I incorporated one joke from the, the second show. I did the early show and late show on Friday and it's, uh, it's all, it's say 40 six minutes uh, of one show and two minutes of the other show. But nobody realized that I moved jokes around until after I got back the files from Barrett and he had cleaned up the sound so much that during one of the opening bits, it's like, hey, I'm Nathan, uh, thanks for having me. And you hear people in the back uh, like working out the check because they just got the check drop at the beginning <laughs> of the show. It's like, oh, man. so you can hear it if you listen really closely, but... But you didn't, you did, so you don't, did you do that with any of yours, Jake? Did your guy say, okay, I moved joke number two here, I moved joke number three to number oh, he seven? Oh, did, he did all kinds of He would, um... I think we lost Jake. I would use fillers like I do when I normally talk a lot in, in, the, um, in the CD. I, I say like and um a lot. Oh, I say like way too much on this one, and I can hear it as I listen back now. I do, yeah. I, I, I mean, I say that on the podcast too much, but we're just kind of talking, so right. it, it's it's a little more natural. And I, I, I think I have mild brain damage, so I just use a lot of fillers when I talk. And oh my god, the cat's back! I'm going to shut the window. Ping the cat! <laughs> Yay! See, well, see, one thing, uh, bear, uh, Jake's fading in and out. I don't know if he realizes that his, his signal is cutting in and out. But, uh, yeah, I went through and was able to take out not all my likes, which I didn't realize I said that much, but I did remove a lot um, of, like, that. That was just me giving an example of bad speech. So what I did is I went and found a dead space of audio where maybe there's a glass clinking or, you know, someone saying, uh, waiter, you know, and mm -hmm. I just went and quick copied and shoved that over my, uh, <laughs> and it sounds very natural. And again, a lot of people, I mean, or not a lot, the, the, the test listeners, nobody picked up on any of the edits except for the very blatant, obvious one where, and you, I, there was nothing I could do about it I, uh, because it was two different shows. Yeah. yeah. Do you think porn stars have that same thing? Like, do you think, 
Do, I mean, do you think like Janet Jameson or somebody, she's got that porn where she looks back and she's like, oh, the production value's awful. You can hear all the squishy sounds and they didn't cut that out. And you can totally tell it's a cut, man. It's a, it was a totally different scene. We came back the next night and filmed that one because he got drunk and vomited in the middle of the thing. And you can even still see that the glasses is a quarter of the way full in this scene and it's three quarters full in the next. Like, Do you think porn stars have that same thing? I don't know, but I'm going to tell a story that I have not thought of in 20 years. And then I'll, I'll let Barrett tell uh, the story or his version Ooh. or what. But we went to, when we lived in Boston at Berkeley College of Music, we went to the combat zone and it was on in its dying throes. It's gone now. It's just gone. But it used to be this legendary place of drugs and porn and prostitutes. And when we went there, it was they still had porn and a porn theater, which we went to eventually. And so we went and got autographs from porn stars. And uh, it was Barbara Dare and Tori Wells, who was pretty huge back in the day, if you remember Tori Wells. And it was Barbara Dare's movie. After we went and got her autograph, I think we watched one of her movies. And this, we're talking VHS now. And one of the scenes uh, took place on a beach. It wasn't a fuck scene. It was like a pre-fuck dialogue scene. And it's everything, Jake, you just said, where the waves were rolling in in the background Except there was no continuity. Like the the wave would start to break and then it would stop and then two waves would break oh, and roll. Man. Like you'd hear it roll because they just, they didn't edit in the sound quality. So whenever because it was a one camera shoot, so they would just film one person, then turn around and film the other all the lines. And so the wave continuity was all over the place. And I'm watching a porn, and that's what I'm noticing is how bad the wave audio is in the back. Are like, oh, here comes a wave, and then nothing, nothing, and then. <laughs> you know, like and it was so funny that's, to me. That's the open and you could see it in the background, too. Yeah, well, you could see it in the background. Like, every so often, you'd see, like, a wave rolling in, and then, like, it would just disappear. Like, the editing was so horrible and hilarious. But, Barrett, what do you remember about going to, to meet the porn stars? I mean, I just remember you got your bass signed, and I thought that was hilarious. And I think that that was the first one that she'd ever signed. I think she said she signed many things in her life, but never signed a bass before. Yeah. That much and I remember. I, I took that to, uh, uh, when I moved to Milwaukee, I took that bass to a car show that Jeannie Garth from Beverly Hills 90210 was signing at. Because when you think <laughs> Beverly Hills 90210, you think auto show. And I took it up to her to sign, and she was the same way. She's like, oh, my God, I've never signed someone's instrument before. This is, like, really whatever. And then she looked and saw the other autographs and said, who else is signing? And I said, well, it's Barbara Dare. And that's Tori Wells. And she said, oh, who are they? Are they actresses? And I said, well, in a way, they're porn stars. And then she got this really shitty look on her face, signed it, and wouldn't, and was done. And then I found out later she's, like, a conservative Christian born again. And I'm like, oh, well, sorry about that. I, I just Even if she wasn't a, a conservative Christian... She's still like, oh, you, you rank me up there with porn actresses. Thanks, asshole. I mean, technically you rank her higher than porn actresses, but yeah. Well, I mean, the porn That's actresses true. are higher than her, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> To be fair to the poor production value on early porn or any porn, now that I think about it, while I'm actually beating off to porn, I'm not really watching for continuity, you know? Like, that's, that's, well, more, for, that's more for critics, I feel. <laughs> Well, now with digital, they, I think the editing is better. I think it's just easier. Back then with film stock, who wants to take the time to make a well-edited porn? They don't care. But with digital, yeah, they can true. actually they're not, make they're a quality for product. Steven Spielberg and Hustler. Yeah, Did I'm, you know that porn is on the cutting edge of most technological advancements in film? Oh, yeah, that's true, man. I do remember hearing that now that, now that, uh, now that you mentioned that. 
And that was in Boogie Nights, too. In Boogie Nights, that was the ending where uh, Burt Reynolds wanted to stick to film because that's the way it had always been done. But porn always, like, goes to new technology first. They always stay ahead of the curve. Once porn does it, you know everyone else's. Digital cameras, digital editing, they, they're, they're, they're always ahead. Barrett, I'm sorry I interrupted you. Yeah, oh, I mean, it's, I mean, it's, it's more, it's also, I mean, they're, I mean, the, the taking money for paying for sites, monthly memberships, all that stuff is porn. Porn does that stuff way before anybody else does. I mean, it'd almost be like a smart move to see what porn is doing now and then invest your money in that because over the next five to 10 years, that's going to be what everybody else jumps on. It, you know, and porn always seems to do that shit first, which is actually kind of fascinating point. to me. But All of our society's say, most innovative minds go to either NASA or porn. There's a fork in the road in engineering and, and software school for the top levels. And they're like, listen, you can go to the light side or you can go to the dark side. What's it going to be? Yes, indeed. I have and since they're engineers. What is that? And since, the, I said, since they're engineers, you know, they're, they're, they're nerd virgins, so a lot of them are going to go to porn. <laughs> what, what kind of, I mean, when you say you want to score one as a musician, would you like to do a throwback to like, waka chicka, waka chicka, waka chicka, waka, you know, like 70s uh, music? Or like, would you like to like legitimately try and invest some time in what does this blowjob capture or mean, mean to me? You know, we'd have to go back to like the 70s to like porn that actually had a plot. You know, but I would love to actually do like a combination of both, like score it and then give it a soundtrack also. So, like, you know what I mean? Like a real movie. I think it'd be so much fun to do that. You know? So when you <laughs> porn's decide too to, predictable, uh, every porn scene, I, I, I'm like, they're going to end up fucking and they never throw a curveball. <laughs> they always end up fucking. Keep me guessing porn. <laughs> a slap in the face and a no slammed door. Exactly. Yeah. That's funny. The whole thing could turn into some kind of like religious sermon. They both find Jesus right away, and they 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 join like monasteries and that kind of thing, and then they just start preaching like one of those one nine hundred give all your money to Jesus kind of commercials, or to Joel Olstein, whichever one. Yeah, he give could... all your money to Jesus or Joel. There we go. Yeah, it's like it's like why can. Why should every single porn you buy be a winner? You know, you scratch off scratch tickets, you don't always win. Sometimes you get a big old crucifix in your face with the porn. Uh, and then the Christians would have something to masturbate to. Yeah, mm-hmm. and like the porn people would appreciate it more when they did get to see two people fucking on film. That's what I see. Huh. They take it for granted. They take it for granted, the porn people. It's all click and spank, click and spank. There's no there's no anticipation anymore. There's no fingers crossed. I hope they get naked. I hope I get to see what she's got under there. No, they know they're going to get to see what she's got under there. I say let them guess. You know, and, and I, I never thought of this, but you talk about porn being on the cutting edge. Uh, porn was ahead of the curve when it comes to, like, Vimeo and, like, short quick uh, videos because like you just said porn used to have like they'd release films where there was a plot and then people would fuck and then they had to find the treasure or whatever i have no idea uh but now it uh literally you go to any website and it's like a three minute clip like it's just straight to the low job or just you know there, there's no context it's literally just two people fucking which i have no problem with i you know but I'm desensitized to all porn. I only beat off to female MMA anymore, man. It gets it's gotten weird with me. It's gotten weird. 
No, I'm kidding. Uh, I, I like regular porn, dude. I, I'm pretty old-fashioned when it comes to porn. Nothing uh, fucking weird. The same way. I, I wrote about it and even posted a Huff Post, a Huffington Post posted my article about porn where I'm like, uh, I, I don't remember what I said, but it was basically, I'm old school. I watch it like three to five minutes a week. I see what I want to see. I'm like, oh, that's what I need. And then I take it where I need to take it. You know, I, I don't jerk off in front of my computer. I, do, do either of you? I, to, to me, that's weird. Like sitting with the computer and watching and jerking off. I get what I need and then I go where I need to go to like, oh, okay, let's just grab a towel and go over here and. You know, somewhere relaxing, not in a chair, not in the living room. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I do sometimes. I just, I, I don't like doing it too much. Otherwise, you, you get, you get sort of, um, I, I, I don't know. You, you sort of like depend on that too much, and it sort of takes you out of it when you're with, when you're with an actual woman a little bit. So you got, you got to use your imagination most of the time. Well, Barrett, you and I have talked sometimes. about this, right? Well, Jim and I have talked about porn and, and desensitizing to reality. Oh, yeah. That's why I say I only do like a couple minutes a week. It's like I just yeah. watch a scene like, oh, yeah, that gets me off right now. I, I, the, I, I saw a study that said like the average user is 20 minutes. I'm like, 20 minutes? What the fuck are you watching for 20 minutes? <laughs> well, you're practicing on building up your stamina. For I suppose minutes. if you're 15, yeah, that yeah. makes sense. Well, I mean, I don't really deal with the porn thing that much these days, but... I did have a weird experience where I remember being in the grocery store walking around and seeing all these like older housewives and things like that and just being turned on by looking at them and I couldn't figure out why. And then I realized like for the past week or so I've been jerking off to MILF Hunter and it like <laughs> basically trained me. And I, <laughs> it's like, but I had a realization that I, I could train myself to like whatever I wanted to. Just Milk Hunter was Jean Claude Van Damme's best <laughs> goddamn movie. I will say that right now, man. He was in a lot of bad ones, but Milk Hunter and Milk Hunter three, pretty good. And two and four, not so much. But Milk Hunter one and three, that was the damn's best movies. Exactly. I want to circle back to what Barrett was saying, though. You said you like you'd been watching. So, do you think you could watch like? Uh, chubby chaser, like overweight shit that you're not normally attracted to, and then get a feel for it and be like, "Yeah." You I know, mean, like... I think if you if you beat off to it enough, you'll train yourself to get hard when you see it, and then you'll walk around and you'll see a woman with a little bit of meat on her bones and be like, "Huh, I like that." I think it's that simple for dudes. I don't know about other people, but I think you should. I think it'd be easy for dudes to do that. That's do you think that's feeling. what they have in those in those? Uh turn you straight Bible camps where they're like slamming your dick in the Bibles. Do you think they're always like, you spank it to MILF Hunter. You do it for Jesus. Like, I mean, cause it just, it seems like reading scriptures and writing Bible verses on the blackboard or whatever. Like it doesn't seem like that would cure it or fix it or change it or whatever. I mean, I, I think, Giving them porn brain for uh, hetero porn. I, I mean, they probably don't advertise that because they're all about family values and not jerking off to the internet or whatever. But like, I think that's the only way to do it is have them jerk off to the internet a bunch of times. And well, they they behind closed doors. That's what they do. Like they promote it as, oh, your son will write, I will love girls a thousand times on the blackboard. <laughs> but then when they get there, they lock them in a room. Like, okay, you watch this till you're straight. God damn it. I mean that, and they give you gay porn and then beat you. Like every time you look at it, they smack you in the back of the head with a ruler or a paddle or some shit. Uh, a clockwork orange, well, some shit like exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah. So you know, a version. See, I, I feel like if they went if they went too hard with that. 
they, it would have the opposite effect. Like the dude gets out and he's still gay, but now he's like an orange ball gag in the mouth, beat me with a writing crop kind of gay. You know what I mean? It's like it's not the good wholesome uh, family values kind of gay anymore. We'll just have regular missionary sex and adopt a little kid from China or whatever. Now he's going to underground clubs, paying people to beat on him because uh, you know Jesus can't. Made him, uh, that's what that, that's what Christ turned him into. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Christ made him that animal. Oh, really? With that, I what actually, dude, I hate to sign off early because this has been a fun one, but I, I actually have a show that I, I have to leave to go get to, man. But, uh, it was nice meeting you, man. This is a fun one. Yeah. Yeah. I got I mean, Both I gotta, of you, you live near one another. Jake lives in New York proper, and you live yeah. in, I mean, you should go to a music show, Jake. And, yeah. Uh, absolutely, you can go man. To a comedy show. Yeah. Absolutely. Let's, Dude, let's find each other on Facebook. For Absolutely. sure, man. Sounds like a plan. All right, well, dude, it was good uh, meeting you. Yeah, good, good talking you to you. Uh, you too, man. Nathan, pleasure as always, right, my man. friend. Have a good show. Have, Have a good, good one. Bye, listeners. <laughs> Love you. Well, welcome to the world of our podcast where we, we this is what happens, is we start <laughs> on a topic and we just go off on fucking tangents. And that just, that's, that's what we do. <laughs> That's some funny shit. Uh, so, do you want to segue from porn? Uh, do you want to do the world's most awkward segue in the world? Sure. All right. So, listeners, uh, Barrett is what is called, uh, uh, what's the PC term for it? Person of color, African American. I don't even know what I mean, it's we, called anymore. We prefer colored, but I'll settle for African American. <laughs> but you asked me a question the other week. Do you remember exactly what it was? And I was going to try and get Jake in on this, but then we just ended up talking porn, so it didn't happen. I do, and I, and I have a I have another thing I want to bounce off you too, but we'll deal with this first. I don't remember the exact wording of the question, but it was something in the in the context of of how do you feel as a I talk to a lot of people, and as a musician, I have friends from all over the world and all over the country, different races, creeds, colors, all that stuff, right? And what I'm noticing is that a lot of white men are saying that they feel like they're being persecuted, like there's nobody speaking up for them. Like black people have their own channel, Hispanic people have this, and all everybody has their stuff, and white males seem to feel persecuted. Like it's okay for everybody to jump on the white guy all of a sudden and talk about the shit that he's doing. And the white guy, if you say, "Oh, the the white guy did it," then everybody's like, "Oh yeah, the white guy's trying to keep us down and white privilege and all that other stuff." So I'm just curious how you felt about that as a white guy who is friends with all kinds of different people and all kinds of stuff like that. How do you feel about that was, I believe, what my question was. Yeah. Well, I think, actually, I don't think you asked how I felt about it. I think you asked if I experienced it or felt ah, the same way. Yes. Wasn't that it? Yeah, because yes. now when you bring it up, and my answer was no. Like, I haven't noticed that really. Um, I can see it a little bit in the media. Um, I think the example example I gave you was... Uh, the Olympics, because that's about when it happened, and there was uh, that gymnast, the, the the black gymnast girl, right. African American gymnast girl. I don't know, and she didn't put her hand over her heart uh, for the American yeah. for the anthem, and people were shitting on her. And then uh, Ryan Lochte pissed in a gas station, and someone said, "Oh, see, they just—he's a drunk, and they're calling him an asshole." But they're not that's white male privilege. Like he doesn't get treated like she did. And I'm like, well, first of all, it's two separate incidents, you know, but secondly, he, I, from what I saw, he did get shit on. He lost a ton of endorsements. People were calling him an asshole for lying, but I also didn't see too much 
of the the blowback for her not putting her hands over the heart. I heard there was hype, but I guess that was the example I used. It made more sense then when it was in the news. But overall, right. no, I don't feel it. I don't feel like, oh my God, I'm a white guy. I'm so oppressed. I don't. I don't have that. Although we did talk about this, and we've talked about this in the past, as a comedian. Um, I don't want to say it's more difficult for me, but I will say that uh, it's more difficult for me to stand out in a pack of white guys because right. uh, if there's a, a comedy agency casting or looking for comedians, they're going to go, okay, we need a white guy, we need a black guy, we need a Hispanic, we need an Asian, we need a woman, we need this. And so where, yeah, back in the day, it used to be literally, okay, we need five white guys and we're done. So you had a greater chance at success. Now they're casting rainbows and that's fine. You know, there's nothing I can do about it. I can complain. I don't see what the point would be. <laughs> I guess I, if I were to complain, it would be that if they are literally casting like, okay, we need a, you know, if they're just saying, oh, well, we've got three white guys that are super funny and we've got, uh, you know, one Hispanic guy that's not funny at all, but fuck it, we need a Hispanic guy. Like if they're casting not funny above funny, just for mm-hmm. the case of Rainbow, that bothers me. But, sure. You know, I can't really. So, I mean, the overall question answer is no. I don't really feel any of the white guy burden. I know it's out there though. Like I've read and heard people feel that way, but I just don't get it personally. I mean, to me, it just it, it screams at a, a lack of historical context and basic shit like that, right? Like people, yeah. like I hear white people say things like, "Well, we don't have white entertainment television," and I think to myself, "What's Channel 7? Well, I was going to say it's all of it. Yeah, the rest. Right. You, there's right. BET and then there's every other goddamn right. channel. And this is the funny thing, right? Like, this may not be true, but this is – I, I will do something ridiculous, like speak for all black people here at this particular moment, which is absurd. But really, like, most black people feel like we know white people because we've seen – tons of television shows we've read tons of the historical stuff like we learned tons of stuff in school what we call world history is really just america's influence on the world history right like that's really what it is and whereas like white people get such a very small dose of what black history is you get like we get black history month and basically what you learn about is the civil rights movement that's it that's basically you learn that George yeah. Washington Carver made a bunch of shit out of peanuts, right? And it's like and that's <laughs> you had, you, you, the instant you said that, I thought of Eddie Murphy on Saturday Night Live. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember the sketch exactly, but the, there was the there was the old Eddie Murphy as George Washington Carver, wasn't yeah, there? I believe yeah. that's there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but it's like one of those weird things, and so I feel like when people say stuff like that, they just have no real understanding of it. And what I've seen is that. At this point, it seems like equality for for black people is something we strive for, for most people, for whether it's women, whether it's people of color, minorities, whatever it is. Equality is a thing we strive for, right? But for what I feel like is that equality feels like oppression to people who have privilege, because all of a sudden the playing field is no longer slanted in their favor. So there's a lot of backlash to that. And I feel like when we use the term privilege for people, it gets misconstrued because it's not like white people sit around and get checks in the mail from the government for being white, right? Like that's ridiculous. And that's what people always think. Well, I don't have any money. What do you mean I have privilege? But what it means is to me... Well, we get out of speeding tickets more often. We can go in front... Well, Jake and I have talked about this on the podcast. Uh, In the past... 
six months, three young college rapists have gotten, like, either no jail time, probation, or six-month sentence that was reduced to three for good behavior. And the, the, the most famous one was Brock Turner. He gets yeah. released from prison tomorrow because I guess the judge went to Stanford and he went to Stanford. And it's, it's something you and I have talked about in the past. It's not that it's, it's conscious racism or not, but the judge just looks at the kid and goes, oh, man, I remember being 18 and being drunk and really wanting to, you know, like, fuck a woman, and, oh, man, it's horrible that he did that, but I don't want to ruin his whole life, you know, and it's, he ruined that woman's life, and he absolutely should go to jail. So it's not like this agenda of white privilege, but it happens, you know? It happens because of just unconscious sympathy or maybe overt sympathy, I don't know. But here, here's my problem. I wish that that white dudes would, instead of getting mad at a dude for not standing up during the Pledge of Allegiance, they'd get mad at stuff like that. Right? Like, you look on oh, Facebook... I think a lot of people did get mad uh, at Brock Turner. I saw it blow up. I saw it blow up a little bit. I, there's just a new guy. I don't know his name, but I guess he did that to two high school kids or some shit like that. He's a young kid, and he didn't get any jail time, and everybody's talking about well, it. I'm, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I just, I just but, read that one. I mean, I just feel like I see so much about people, and what they forget is the simple fact that, oh, well, how could he not show pride in his country and blah, 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 and people fought and died for his right to do that. And that's not true. They fought for his right to sit down. That's what they fought for. They fought for his right to choose whether or not to stand or sit. That's what people fought for, right? Well, no, I, I, uh, I hear that. Here's my. This is my personal beef because I've been getting into it with people on Facebook just for the fun of it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I personally, you know, I don't care whether he stands or sits. Like my problem that I've been slowly discovering is. The social justice warriors that are, like, behind Kaepernick 100% are 20 years old, and they don't watch football. At least in my <laughs> Facebook feed. No, I'm just I'm just going from personal experience. Like, I have a bunch of young 20-year-olds that don't watch football that are like, Kaepernick is right. And I sent you a link. I don't. Did you have a chance to read I, it? I did. I did. Yeah. And it's like, it's, it's, it, that's great that he's protesting, but he's a douchebag, bicep-kissing, Jesus-tattooed, flat brim hat wearing douchebag who's inarticulate like he's been a black man his whole life and he's suddenly now protesting like this has been going on his whole lifetime and he's only I mean that and I guess the problem I have is that he's inarticulate like if he's asked about racial inequality he starts saying things like well there's no difference between Trump and Clinton and like well yeah, they're both can be shitty. There is. There there really is. You can say there's very little difference between the Republican Party and the Democratic Party. Uh, but to say that Trump and Clinton are the same, like you can say you don't like Hillary for certain reasons, but right. I mean these two are night and day. But so my, my problem is not that Kaepernick sat down. I don't give a fuck. My problem is is he's being treated by twenty year olds like Martin Luther King. They're seeing like, oh my God, a black man standing up for himself, and they're not listening to how inarticulate and stupid he is. Yeah. They're, yeah. they're just championing a cause, and and all these people on my timeline, of course, are white, and they're they're feeling good about themselves. Like, I'm so progressive, and it's like, well, fuck off. Like, you don't know what it's <laughs> like. I'm like, no, I don't. But you don't know where I grew up, so you don't know any. You know, like. I'm not saying I have any insight. You go back to black, white people don't really know what it's like to be black, and I would never even assume to imagine I do, but I've had decent experience. Well, let me ask you a question. Um, 
when we were in college together, you took me to, uh, what was it, at Harvard, was it a black students welcoming committee? Or... It, was a, yeah, it was a black student union party, basically. Yeah. And, but it was essentially probably like some kind of welcome thing where they yeah. invited all the other black student unions from the other schools. And I was the only together. white person there, Absolutely. I think. Yes. Did I act in any way that was like, oh, my God, Barrett, get me out of here. I'm nervous. No, like, not I at remember. all. I mean, you were drunk, but other than that, no, it was fine. <laughs> Other than that, no. But I mean, but you're not that guy, though. Like, you're not the guy to be uncomfortable around situ in situations like that. I mean, I, I will say this. It, it's a bit of a tangent, but related. I find it strange. Like, being a working musician, right? I will end up playing a wedding. And I played a wedding the other day that had 800 people at it. That's a lot of fucking people to have at a wedding, right? And I, I had 200 at mine, and I thought yeah, it was absurd. Yeah, there's 800 people here. And there was one black guy and one white dude dating an Asian woman. Out of 800 people. And you're where trying was to tell this? Me, it was I mean, you're based it's, in New York City. Yeah, and this was yeah, in Jersey. So you're if you think anywhere's a melting pot, it's right there. Right. Like, if you say 800 people in Iowa, like, oh, sure, yeah, of course right. they're all white. I mean, and that's what I mean. Like, who the hell invites 800 of their closest friends and family and there's one black dude there? One of a black couple, right? Because they the guy brought a date. I don't know who was who was whose date, but right, they're a black couple, and then one white guy dating an Asian woman. Out of eight hundred people, I could see if there's like thirty people, maybe even a hundred people. But seriously, like you're gonna invite eight hundred people to your wedding, and there's gonna be that few people of color there. That just seems weird to me, and that's the issue. No, I'm not saying that it doesn't happen the other way around. Right, I don't. I don't play a ton of um, black weddings, arguably because black people tend to prefer DJs for that kind of thing. Right, but when I've gone, because they're cheaper, and you guys have no money. Um, well, that, depending, you know, on, you're spending it all on grills and fucking. I mean, and, and, and playing crack. And let's be real, crack also. Oh, well, but, you, you can. You're welcome. We, right. we did bring that in from Nicaragua for you. Did we appreciate that? We appreciate it. Were you with me? Was that I don't I don't remember I I do remember talking to there was a grizzly old guy like a, a from the inner city was that you and I together or was that just me where he's like he remembers meeting with the CIA agents he was like the liaison and he just sat and told stories about how he got and I'm just like all right so when it hit twenty years later I'm like well I've known this my whole life <laughs> right was, yeah yeah I vaguely remember that story um, but I don't yeah. remember where we were but yeah yeah I mean. It's an interesting thing because, like, when you live on any in any city or any of the coastal areas, it is a bit of a melting pot. And so you have this illusion that the world is like that, right? Like, I have this illusion because my friends are, are all from all different shapes and sizes and walks of life and things like that because it's just music, right? And so I have this illusion that the rest of the world is like that. And then I'll go someplace. I'll be like you know, on the road somewhere, and I'll be like, wow, everybody here looks exactly alike. And the world isn't really like what we see. Because, like, what you're talking about, when TV shows cast, now they're trying to cast the rainbow, right? There's the, the nerdy black dude or the light-skinned pretty black woman. There's the one, there's the Asian person. There's, the, you know, all these things. And we have this illusion that that's what the world looks like. But it really is pretty segregated. It really is, you know. Uh, if you don't watch Full Frontal with Samantha B, you should. It's fantastic. It's it's just brilliant. Um, 
she went on the road, um, I think it was for the convention, it was for the Republican convention, and she stopped in places in Philadelphia where, I mean, just, not Philadelphia, I'm sorry, Pennsylvania. She stopped in small towns in Pennsylvania. Yeah. And uh, what is Pennsylvania called? It's like, uh, you got Philadelphia at one end, Pittsburgh at this in, in, in the, uh, the other end, and it's Alabama in between. <laughs> and that's yeah. where she was stopping. <laughs> And these people, you'd, you'd talk to them, there was this one woman, she's like, I would never vote for Hillary. She's a woman. Woman can't be president. And, she, and you know, the reporter's like, you know you're a woman, right? She's like, oh, yeah, you know, you can't trust her. And I'm like, wow, it's 2016, and you're still, you, there are women who believe that a woman shouldn't be president in oh, America. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Know, like, yeah. Yeah, there are huge divides in this country. And that's, that's, I think, this is what, that's what I wrote in the, I think the, the Trump campaign has been beautiful and wonderful for America because I think it is important to take a good look in the mirror sometimes and face your problems. And I think there were a lot of people, uh, a lot of liberal people, a lot of like, you know, wannabe good liberals, like I have a black friend who would try and say things like, we elected a black president, racism is gone. Or even racist or white, you know, like uh, right-wing people that were saying like, we have a black president, you can't tell me racism still exists. Right. And the Trump campaign has exposed America. I mean, as, as I, you know, like not every Trump supporter is a racist. Some of them are just stupid assholes. But the majority <laughs> are, hor- they're all horrible, horrible people that cannot justify their support of him. I mean, they, they try to, but they can't. And I think it's been, in a sick, disgusting way, good that America has been exposed as having these deep, deep divisions and flaws because my hope is that's the only way we can work on them is, is by finally admitting and seeing that, oh, yeah, we still have these problems. Yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. I think the problem that I have with it is this is, I mean, again, it comes down to basic knowledge of stuff, and I guess if people don't live it, they don't know it, but this is the kind of shit that black people have known forever. Like, people say yeah, things exactly. like, oh, my God, they're killing black people. Like, it's so terrible. The cops are doing this. And if you ask black people, it's like, we knew about this shit in the 60s, in the 50s, in the 70s, in the 80s, in the 90s. And, you know, like, it's just part of the black experience, like, part of what it is. I think what you'll find now is that black people have gotten so fed up with it that what, you know, when you hear about someone like Sandra Bland, the one, the woman who supposedly yeah, yeah. hung herself or whatever. She did a U-turn. And right. Was, well, she, I yeah. saw that video. Did you yeah, see that video? I did. It was I disgusting. mean, it's insane. It's like disgusting. that cop turns around for no yeah. fucking reason it's, it's and disgusting. starts falling. It's disgusting. He literally sees a black person and pulls her over. That, yeah. that, that was the only reason for turning that yeah. car around. I mean, it, it, was, it was just like it made me sick to watch it. And, but here's what I will say is that she got angry and she voiced her opinion and she got killed for it, essentially, right? Or people will argue, well, she hung herself, whatever. She's dead, she got pulled over, and the conflict ensued because she had the audacity to, to speak her mind. And that's the interesting thing, is that, like, there's this thing that people are saying, well, if they just did what they were told, I hear that a lot, right? Well, if they just did what they were told, well, if they just did what they were told, then they wouldn't have gotten shot. And I was like, well, wait a minute. I've been in the car with white people who mouth off to cops like it's nothing. Like it's nothing. Like, because there's no fear there. And when we talk about privilege, again, that's what we're talking about, is the ability to just kind of say what's on your mind 
and not have any real repercussions as a result of it. I've seen white people get out of tickets, speeding tickets, all kinds of stuff. And listen, I have black friends with dreadlocks who've never gotten a ticket in their life and get pulled over very infrequently, right? And I have white friends who get pulled over and have gotten tons of tickets, right? So it's not like white people don't get tickets, right? But it's what you said about the judge in, this, in the Brock Turner case. I feel like when a cop pulls over a young white kid for doing something stupid, he goes, man, this kid reminds me of me. When I was a kid, I was really stupid. And I did dumb things. And look at me now. I've got myself together. I became a cop. I've got a good job. I own a home. I've got a wife and a kid. And I'm a good guy. So this guy probably could do the same thing. I don't want to fuck up his life, right? And when a black person does something, they go, man, this black kid's going down the wrong path. Let me make sure I teach him a lesson and make sure he straightens himself up by giving him a ticket, right? And I've heard cops say that to women mostly, not to men. But I've heard cops say well, I'm not going to give you a ticket because I don't want to mess up your life. You know, you were speeding, you were going 85 and a 25, but I don't want to, I don't want you to lose your license because I know how much you need it. So I'm not going to give you a ticket. I'm just going to give you a warning. I've had white women say that to me when cops have pulled them over. That's how they got out of it. They cried a little bit, did what they needed to do, talked about how they needed their license, and the cop gave them a warning. And I feel like that's what yeah, were they at least attractive? In. Um. Most of them. But okay. here's the funny thing, though. Here's the funny thing. Oh, I, Whenever, had, to be, I had to go joking I, of, somewhere. Of course. Of course, because this is a comedy podcast. But, like, yes. but here's the funny thing. Whenever a white person gets pulled over by a black cop and they get a ticket, the first thing I hear is, yeah, fucking black cop gave me a ticket. That's racism. You only gave me a ticket because I'm white. And I'm like, well, what were you doing? Well, you know, I was going 45 and a 35 or 45 and a 25, but I had somewhere to go. And he didn't have to give me a ticket. And I'm like, right, because when you get pulled over by a white cop, you probably don't get a ticket for doing that. And so now a black cop pulled you over and didn't give you the benefit of that, even though you were breaking the law and you got a ticket, and somehow that's weird. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's where I go, hmm, this whole privilege thing, like, it's, and, and white people never think of that as playing the race card, right? That black cop gave me a ticket on a white guy. It's like, hmm. But if I say the same thing, then I'm fucked up, right? Then so, you're an angry black guy. Right, man. I'm an angry black guy. And, and that's, wanna, you know, so what were you going to say? No, go ahead. Well, I, I, was, I wanted to go back uh, two minutes in, your, in the conversation. If you wanted to say something quickly, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, I was going to segue into something else, so you first. Well, I wanted to go back. You say uh, the, the part where it's, uh, if only they had done this, if only they had, if only, you remember that section? Yeah. Because mm-hmm. uh, that makes me think of, uh, and I don't want to pronounce his name wrong, uh, was it Flando Castile? Is that how you pronounce it? Do you remember? He, I, was, he was the man, he was in Minnesota, Minneapolis yeah. maybe, but in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. So uh, I can, I don't want to say see both sides of the story there, but let me let me walk through this. So he was the one, He was he's a, maybe a, not member of the NRA, but he said, I'm a registered gun owner, I have a, the, the paperwork that shows I'm a gun owner, you know, like he had all his ducks in a row. Yeah. You know, it wasn't, you know, and the cop said, uh, don't move. And he reached to get his paperwork and the cop freaked out and shot him four times. Yes. Now, the way I can say I can see both sides, if you say I have a gun and then you move for your pocket, the cop, so I don't want to say if he had only listened, but I do want to say this, the, the, the thing that always freaks me out about that one is, 
Why did the cop shoot four times? Say you're panicked. Say you honestly think this guy who has just said, I am a registered gun owner, is going to announce that he's a gun over and then go for it right in front of you. Like, hey, cop, I got a gun. Here, I'm going to get it out and shoot. You know, like, that's completely illogical from, from any standpoint. So for the cop, but then to shoot, like, how do you not just, like, say, oh, I was so panicked, I thought he was going for his gun, bang. Like, that's one sh- It's that's going to stop you right there. Like, that, where to me, is, like, police inefficient training. I don't know. Like, four goddamn times he pulled that trigger. You know, all because a guy moved his hand. Yeah. I don't know. I, that, that seems like training could handle that. Like, say you... At, but I want to go back one further, then, because the thing that pisses me off is I remember, what was it, 10, 15 years ago, when everyone's saying, you know, like, oh, cops use their tasers too often. Cops, Wouldn't everybody rather be at that time in history now where it's like, oh, sure, he, the, the, he got tased instead of shot? Like, Yeah. The problem is know. that I, the people who get tased get to live afterwards and tell the story. So it's bit, true, yeah. So this eliminates. Of well, of course, now we have video. So that that'd be my advice to every black person: is like the instant you get pulled over, fucking put Facebook Live on so that it's like, "Hi, officer, I'm broadcasting right now." You know, like just so yeah. it's out there for fuck's sake. Yeah, I, I feel like it's it's a bit of an issue. I, I here's my thing, and this is the part. This is the thing that I feel like. That, that white people don't really recognize. And this is something that black people have been saying for years. Black people have essentially been like some kind of testing facility for white America's fucked up laws and behaviors and stuff over the past, you know, several hundred years, whether it's medical shit or whatever, you know, drug laws, all kinds of dumb shit, right? And what, what white people don't realize is that if you find one of those cop watch Facebook pages or websites, you'll see videos of white people getting shot, white people getting their ass whooped, white women getting felt up and groped by cops to get out of to, to for the cops say, well, I'll, you know what I mean, do this and I won't do this. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know the, I mean? uh, no, cop rape is is, is and oh, the cops get huge. off because of thin blue oh, line. Yeah. They rape, yeah. I mean, yeah. they do that. They make underage drunk girls blow them. All kinds of stuff. It's fucking disgusting. And so when all these people are sitting around going, "Black lives matter," it should be all lives matter. It's like, okay, no, it really shouldn't be all lives matter because what it should be is. Black Lives Matter too. That's really what the hashtag should be, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We it all should know be that. Black Lives Matter also, right? And and no one's getting pissed at Susan G. Komen and saying you don't care about prostate cancer. It's like, yeah, okay, whatever, right? It's kind of bullshit. But here's what I think: I think if white America really understood that the cops are not necessarily their friends either, right? As much as privilege exists and things like that. Poor white people are getting their ass whooped, shot, tased, raped, all kinds of stuff by cops all the time. So what the hashtag should be is get your fucking cops in order. That should be the hashtag. And it shouldn't be about black lives or other people's lives because everybody's getting the beat down from these people. It's just the news is publicizing the fact that it's mostly black people so that it creates some kind of racial divide. I don't know that if you looked at the numbers if you looked at the actual statistics of numbers of people who get shot by cops every year, I don't know for a fact that black people top that list, right? You'd like to believe that, and I'd like to believe that because that's what the media tells us. But what I really think 
is that they're beating on everybody and whooping on everybody, and the media is only portraying one side of it for whatever their twisted agenda is. And if white people really knew that they were not really safe either, like below a certain economic class, they weren't really safe either, then the whole nation would be in an uproar. And I don't think they want white people to be afraid of cops, and they like it that black people are afraid of cops. Because I can promise you this, when I get pulled over, the first thing, as ridiculous as it sounds, the first thing I ask myself is, am I going to die today? That's literally what I ask myself. Like, this could be my last day on Earth. Every time I get pulled over, it's a fucking petrifying experience. Like, truly petrifying. And I'm a grown man, and I'm petrified when I get pulled over by the police. And I think that's kind of what they want, is for regular people, because I'm not a criminal. I'm a regular dude. You know what I mean? I don't carry guns or any bullshit like that, you know? And yet I am terrified terrified and i'm scared for me i'm scared for my kid i'm scared that like if i'm hanging out with some white friends and somebody breaks in their house like if somebody breaks in my house right i'm afraid that the cops are gonna come shoot me when they get here <laughs> it's like that chappelle skin look at that johnson this nigger right, i've right. seen this before this nigger came in and hung up pictures of his friends and family or some shit it's just like right like that that shit scares the fuck out of me <laughs> to be hanging out, right? If you and I are chilling at your house, if I come for a visit, we're chilling and we come back and somebody breaks in your house and they see me first, like, you know, they might shoot me literally because I'm standing in your house. It's like that kind of shit is fucking petrifying. And I feel like other countries, granted, there's a size issue, right? The United States, as small as it is, is much bigger than most other places, right? Like Germany, France, these places are tiny compared to here. So when we talk about, oh, their education system, they're this, they're that, it's a numbers game, right? We have way more people here, so it's just not the same, right? But they have somehow found a way to not kill people all the time. <laughs> you know what I mean? We kill more people in this country in one month than they kill in, in years, and it's like they found a way to police their people, not kill them, and still keep their crime under control. So there's something going on here that we are not doing right. You know what I mean? So, yeah. There you well, go. I want to segue quickly into I, – I, and I don't, I don't mean this to mitigate your thought, mm -hmm. but you talk about uh, police brutality and rape. Um, uh, we don't know the numbers. I don't know the numbers. But, I mean – I. Like, I don't want to make this a condemnation of police officers because I, I would go err on the caution on the side of uh, um, err on the side of caution where I still want to believe that the overwhelming majority of police officers are good people, that they don't get into it to do these things. But I do question and wonder what being a police officer does to the human psyche. Like, you, I have a friend that's a detective. I have a friend that's an ER nurse. I have a friend that's a firefighter. And, and we are talking about people that see the worst of humanity. We're talking about the people that see the, the, the rapists and the murderers and the child killers and the child abusers. You know, like my nurse friend has babies come in that have been abused. And my firefighter friend once wrote, you know, the only good thing about uh, a dead five-year-old being your first call of the day is it can't get any worse. And, yeah. you know, my detective friend is there when someone throws a pot of boiling water on a baby. And, you know, like, how much of that can the human psyche take before breaking? And you do get to that point where you're just, fuck everyone. And you, you, you just see someone and you just react. You don't look at them anymore as, you know, 
as as a human, you just like you you see so much of the awful that that becomes all you see. And so, mm-hmm. I mean, does that play a factor in it? Like, let, let's let's talk about uh, you know uh, the, the the police problems in L.A. in the '90s when they were putting out uh, Boys in the Hood and N.W.A. before that in the late eight, in, in in the late '80s where it was literally just pull up on any black teenager, and it still happens today, and you just throw them on the hood and frisk them and let them go if they don't have anything. Because you're just to the point where, well, let's, let, let, me, let me do it this way. I had a friend that was a cop when I was in high school. He was older, obviously. And he, he told me once, he told several, we were all just hanging out, and he said, we, we got word not to pull over any black people because it seems racist. Because when we pull over a black person... We run the plates, and we're like, oh, well, he's got an outstanding. Oh, his record has got five pages. You know, and it's like, so then there were complaints, so they're like, fuck it. We're just not pulling over black people anymore because we don't want to be seen as racist because every time we pull one over, instead of getting them a speeding ticket, they get like ten tickets or they get arrested or whatever. How much does that weigh into the psyche before you just fucking snap? As humans, can, I mean, should we just have police officers on a five-year rotation? You're a cop for five years, and then you get a benefit package that says go on vacation for a year, recalibrate. You know, like, what does it do to a human to live in that world? I mean, I'm inclined to agree with you that that they do see the worst of the worst of the worst, and that's their job, right? Like, most cops have a really... have. I mean, most cops go their whole career without ever drawing their service weapon for anything other than the firing range, right? But, yeah, I mean, I feel like... There's a lot of bad shit that they see, but I have also talked to soldiers, like people who've seen combat and things like that, and they're like, listen, the military trains you not to overreact. So why do we not train our cops to be calm in the face of that? If we're if we're building a if the cops are basically like a mini army, why do they not get the same training that soldiers get not to overreact? And I'm not saying soldiers never overreact, but there are provisions in place that when you arm someone and you send them into a hostile environment that they are they learn to keep their head about themselves well, and that, handle the situation. That goes back that goes back to what I said about Minnesota is, you know, why four times? Right. Like, you shouldn't have been shot at all. But why was the trigger pulled four right. times? If you were really thinking it was just bang, you're done. Like right. literally I shot you once, and now you're not getting that gun out. Yeah. Because that's the thing with uh, Hollywood and movies is everybody's, you know, firing off thousands of rounds and shooting. I remember Joe Biden got in trouble, or not in trouble, but, uh, like, fuckhead stupid people like Sarah Palin made fun of him. He said, why do you need an automatic weapon? If someone comes to your door fucking with a shotgun, you shoot that shotgun in the air, everybody's running. And she's like, ah, shotgun, you shoot it in the air. And they're like, but that's reality. You know, you fucking shoot a gun, everybody scatters. You yeah, know, nobody just stands there and like, oh, he's got a shotgun. Well, I've got a, you know, even the hardcore gangsters, you know, gunfire goes off and they're taking cover. Yeah, nobody wants to get shot. Um, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I mean, I do think that there's a lot to be said. But, I mean, I would wonder. I wonder, like the FBI, they have, they carry guns, they shoot people, they do all kinds of stuff. How often do they shoot unarmed people and how often does this happen where they do that? Or are they just trained better? Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. But I really think a simple solution would be only employing cops who like forcing the cops to live in the community. Force cops. You can't make cops walk a beat like you used to, like in the 50s or whatever. Oh, that was that was the the People versus OJ. Did you watch that series? No. 
Oh, it was no. so good. That was a thing Cochran played. He was talking to uh, the cop before the, 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 he, he testified because he knew him. He's like, oh, how's the family? Where are you living these days? And he told him, and it was the this, this suburb, uh, I think it was the sub, suburb where, I, I don't know, I, but the whole point was, yeah, he, he was a cop that lived out of the city. You know, he just came in, arrested the black folk, and then went back to his suburb. So right. I agree, yeah, you, you walk the streets, you know the people, you know the community. And, and when, when police um, districts try that, Everything changes and yeah. whenever they do that study where it's like, yeah, get the get the cops out on the street talking to people. Everything changes for the well, better. I mean, at that point, like, you know, the kid who's a bad kid and, you know, the kid whose parents just got divorced. So he's just acting out. You know, the kid who's a good kid trying to fit in, gets good grades, but still dresses like he's not a good kid. Like, you know, those things because your kids go to that at school and you and you see these people you you're at their your cookout you're at their cookout so you see them walking around it's a different kind of situation it's it's also just like you understand the rhythm of the community right if you don't know that if you go to an orthodox jewish community and you don't know that on fridays and saturdays they don't drive after sunset or before the other sunset if you don't know that then maybe you say hey what are those people jaywalking for and you give a bunch of people a ticket for jaywalking, but you just don't know that that on Friday nights they walk everywhere because they don't drive because they're Orthodox Jews, right? That's a basic thing that you would not know unless you live in that, that community. You just there's like basic rules that happen that maybe they're legal, maybe they're illegal, but they're not. They're like these like victimless crimes, like jaywalking or dumb shit like that. And like if you don't know that, yeah, on Friday nights in Inwood, New York. Yeah, people sit on their stoops and play music and sit and eat food, right? That's what they do. And so maybe it looks shady, but they're just families. Like you go to the park, and yeah, the park closes at dark, but you go there way after dark, and there's a bunch of people there, but they're families playing games and having fun. Like you're going to arrest them for that? You know what I mean? Like if you're part of that community, you understand how it works. And so you know the difference between a bad person, a good person, a troublemaker, and someone who's just out having fun, even though like on the surface, it could look exactly the same. When you dig a little deeper, you see that it's not at all the same. And that's my issue is that I feel like cops come from Cherry Hill, New Jersey, and go police Patterson, New Jersey, or something, or Camden. You know what I mean? And it's like, the fuck do they know about those people you know what i mean like everybody looks like a criminal to them if you grow up and you don't know any black people you don't know any hispanic people you don't know any asian people right like if you don't know asian people you walk into a chinese restaurant and they don't necessarily say hello to you or smile or do all that fake nice stuff that americans do you think they're being rude maybe you don't understand that like in their culture they don't do that fake nice thing hey how are you well they don't do that there they're pretty matter of fact. That's not good or bad. It just is what it is. But if you don't know that, you think they're being rude. And that's my issue is like we're talking about all these different things that could be solved by just having them become part of the community that they're policing. You know, it'd be a pretty simple fix to me. I could be oversimplifying it, though. That's definitely possible. But that's you know? okay. That's what we do on this podcast. Which, Indeed. Uh, which is a 30-minute podcast that we have stretched to one hour and seven minutes. So, yeah. listeners, I think we're going to let you go on that one. Because we're, um, we're on CP time. 
Uh, well, but that, here's the, again. I mean, we just jumped from literally porn editing yes. to solving racial problems in America. Yes. Well, indeed. not solving, discussing. Yes, uh, but indeed. still. <laughs> indeed. Always that a pleasure. is the Idiots on Parade podcast. Is, uh, indeed. Uh, but yeah, I think absolutely come back on uh, when we can keep Jake on here longer and yeah. maybe we won't get so goddamn serious with Jake around and, and Seriously, we can what keep the people fuck, from dude? wanting to slit their wrists. What the fuck, right? <laughs> and even better, even better, this is how we close this podcast uh, right here today. Uh, so, comedians, if you have a comedy album, hey, <laughs> Garrett's your guy to produce it, because wasn't exactly. that just funny? Listen to that sense of humor he's got. <laughs> exactly. In all seriousness, yes, I would love to do that. Like, anybody who's interested in having their stuff edited or just kind of made, if they do all the editing themselves, that's fine, too. Just make it sound, I mean, better, just more professional, basically. That's kind of yeah, it. Make yeah. it go from a demo-sounding thing to an actual something that's broadcast ready that you could have played on Sirius and it can compete with whatever, whoever big comedians put out CDs and shit like that. I will say this, though. quick, Just a quick little thing, right? I was driving, the, driving in the car today, uh, coming back from somewhere, and it was uh, racially mixed, right? Black people, white people, right? And I was listening to Patrice O'Neill and George Carlin. Now, I think they're both... At the same time? No, silly. But um, uh, I, I, tr I tried that, but Spotify wouldn't let me. Um, but I'm listening to Patrice O'Neill, and I think he's fucking hilarious, right? And the white people in the car are like, yeah, that's kind of funny. He, 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 he. Black people are thinking it's fucking hilarious, right? And then I put on George Carlin, and everybody's laughing. Black people think he's funny, and white people think he's funny. And I've come to the conclusion that maybe we all have different senses of humor based on the way we all grew up. I don't know if this is true or not. We don't even need to get into it. It's more like a question that I'm throwing out in the air. Like, do, like, other than, like, the obvious, like, Eddie Murphy and Dave Chappelle, which people seem to find amusing, and, like, Bill Cosby before we found out he was drugging and raping people, right? Um, well, before the world found out. That's right. another one of those Catholic priest things where it's like, yeah. really, you're just kept catching up now? We've known yeah. about this since, like... Yeah, I, I found out about it like early '90s, like right after the Cosby Show. Like, oh yeah, oh, ain't that some shit? You know, yeah. like I mean, we've been hearing about it, just nobody wanted to believe it, right? Right, nobody put but, it out there wide. But anyway, where we where we finishing? Yeah, but I but I, I but I wonder, do like when I find that when white people watch certain black comics, they don't find it funny, and black people find it hilarious. But I find like when black people watch shit like Seinfeld, it's kind of amusing. Friends, eh, it's amusing a little bit. But it's not, I mean, I can't speak for all black people, but I watched Friends and didn't really find it that funny. I was like, yeah, I guess. It's amusing. It's not really funny to me. It's amusing to me. And I feel, well, I, I mean, mean, is that a racial that's, thing? That's something for another podcast. I don't know if it's racial, because to me, the, the Friends problem was, it was good when it was touching, but for the comedy it was alright, but I like comedy that's more, like, I liked the Jim Gaffigan show that just did two seasons where everything was delivered like I'm talking to you, whereas a lot of Friends was delivered like this, you know, <laughs> and that, that to me is less interesting, you know, I don't, I don't right. like the okay. forced, like, grr, yeah. but now we're, we're just starting new topics, so let's let the yes, listeners indeed. go, unless there was anything else, Next okay, time. so, um, oh, that's yeah, it. If, if, if any comedians are listening to this, and I'll, I'll start pimping your name out once the CD is ready, we're still working on it, but, yeah. uh, all right. Very Goodbye, cool. everyone. Yeah, man. Talk to you soon.